I'm now in my 30th year working to restore nature in forests and on farms, mostly across the north of England. 30 years ago, I left the city and my old job behind. I hung up my suit and tie and went off to plant trees. It's a decision I've never regretted. I'm Pete Leeson. Welcome to Tree Amble Podcast. This is a podcast about people and farming and trees and nature and how we could all do much better. Hi, and welcome back to Triamble. This is episode eight. Today we're going to meet Paul Arkell. Paul is a farm advisor who works in Cumbria. He was born and brought up on a Cumbrian farm and has known land and land management all his life, despite at one point training as a plumber. He now spends his time helping farmers to get into agro-environment schemes. These are the publicly funded schemes that help farmers to bring back nature on their farms. In this interview, we talk about changing attitudes to trees and nature on farms across the county. I hope you really enjoy this one. Um, yeah, I, I go for a walk and I walk to work yeah. in the morning. So what do you do? Do it around the circuit and yeah. then back to the house. So that's I a leave, good idea. I leave as well, me. That's what we do, isn't it? It's good. Yeah. I leave <coughs> as me and then I, I come back as, as whatever I do at work, yeah. which is great. It is, it's um, good discipline. And it, well, it, it gets you out, but it also, it's all, oh, it's scones. Yes. Um, Cranberry and orange. Orange. Scones. Mm. So if we, hear, if we hear munching in the background. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing, yeah. Uh, so morning, Paul and Rona. Um, yes. We're in, we're in the back of beyond in Cumbria, and uh, sat in your kitchen, just what? been offered scones and coffee. Yeah. Which is great. We live like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> So you're off to work then, right? Is that, is that uh, you're off to uh, work? No, I'm off to non-work today. Oh, well, OK. It's a non-working day. It's a non-working day. Or it's a different working day. Yeah. So home renovation day instead uh, okay. of the house. Day. The house is, is, is a long-term project, isn't it? Mm, yes. <laughs> it, it is. But we do, we definitely can see light at the end of the tunnel. And, and it's not a train coming in the opposite direction. Right. Because so. all the while I've known you, this house has been in a state of... Flux. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But, but it is. We're so, we've done so much so long. And, and partly because we, you know, we talk about sustainability. We've been, we spend a lot of time insulating it and bringing it as up to date as we can in a 1759 house. Uh, so it's a really, uh, a 1759, so an old cottage. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've noticed the difference. So this room we're in now, which was a, a, a sink mirror, we're here, here, barn, basically. Right up to the eaves, wasn't it? And uh, it's insulated floor and water, dry lined and insulated in. And we noticed a different. We've got an air source heat pump now, right. warming that radiator and all the others. And it's it's been a good investment of time and effort. That really. So does that work then, the air source heat pump? We 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 like it, yes, because if you're used to very hot radiators very quickly, it'll be a hard um, thing to get to grips with. But we were used to cool radiators. That heated up once or twice a day when the Rayburn worked, and whereas now the the warm radius is pretty much all day, so it's ideal with, with us working at home as well. It works really well. That 
So, um, and, and we, what, it's all, I think, sustainability is managing expectations as well. We don't need to be walking about in uh, swimming costumes in houses all the time or, or T-shirts or whatever, you know. So. Well, I'm glad to say you haven't got your cosy on there. No, that's right, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so you're working from home. In fact, all the while I've known you. My business is working yeah. based at home now, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it's great, and, you know, we're, we're like out in the country. And, and what, what I do is all around us as well, which is, is sort of ongoing inspiration, really. Well, it is an inspiration. I mean, I've just I've just driven here through some some of the most beautiful countryside in, I think, in the world probably. But it's but it's it's rural Cumbria, and it's it's a pastoral landscape, animals in fields, hedges, mm. trees, uh, small streams, etc. And that's that's the that's the work that you're in, isn't it? So you're an advisor for farmers. That's uh, it. Yeah. In environmental schemes. It it is yeah, and so I've done that for the last. Well, since mid nineties, really, and uh, I sort of think trying to sum up before before you come in, I was sort of thinking, what what's the sort of summary of it, things now? And I think it's the best of times and the worst of times, yeah. because over the years, when I first started my job, there was a few farmers that were really into the environmental thing. You know that that was as much of part of their farming as as uh, that you know livestock production, and it was great working with them, but it was much more difficult to engage. The wider farming community, and now that's that's changed over the years, fairly gradually, but particularly latterly, and uh, they are open to sort of advice and work, you know, across all sectors of the farming as well. Because I've I've noticed this now in my work, it was really hard to get farms to talk about trees yeah, when I started. Exactly, and uh, it was almost as if a stock farm didn't need trees. In yeah. fact, it was almost that they didn't. They just didn't want trees. Trees were actually a bad thing. Yes. Farm. Yeah. That has changed, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, because I, I, I was sort of thinking, you know, I grew up on a farm up near Hutton Roof, the North Cumbria Hutton Roof, um, and it was the end. Sort of in the seventies, it was those when a lot of land drainage. There was when even land cleans, clearing trees and things mm. to to create productive farmland because it was very lucrative, and that was where the the incentives were, and. Uh, it was my dad really that he he was always interested in the farmers and environment as well, and we planted trees on on a on a tiny scale then, but we did do it, which was which was good, and that set the scene. You know, yesterday I went out for the walk before I started work. First curlew back from okay. this spring, brilliant, yeah. just on the hill here, and almost always the first sightings just right. up the right. hill behind the house, and it was things like that. I remember he helped. I went for a walk when I was a school kid, and there was a little nest hatching yeah. and dad had just put some young stock into this new field and they love it they, they run round and I thought oh no these aren't going to last five minutes so I went back dad came with us and we put a big electric fence in a, a big arc right round it to at least give them time to get up and running yeah and that was my first bit of farm conservation work I think and it sort of sowed the seed really for for this yeah I, and it, it sticks and it? it's kind of compelling ones I think when do you when you start to work out that what you what sustains productivity on the one hand, but also what sustains nature on the other, it's a compelling space to be, isn't it? It is, yeah, definitely. And and it's interesting when you say about trees, you know, there was this impetus for, there was all sorts of machinery for pulling tree stumps out and cleaning land and stuff. And even, you know, this hedgerow stuff, they were brutal, like big circular cellars and stuff. And uh, now there's that, you know, the hot summer that we had last year and any decent-sized tree 
the shadow was livestock because it was so hot and the benefits of those trees were, were really manifesting. And I'm doing some work with First Milk and they're quite keen that their farmers look at incorporating biodiversity gain, if you like, into the sort of farming system. And particularly this distinction where using what the farm can produce the sort of within the carrying capacity of the farm through, through sort of sustainable management and it, like tree planting hedges, extended hedges and things like that as part of that farming system, which I think is brilliant, you know. So rather than being something on its own, that environmental part of the farm is actually a working part of the farm. Yeah, integrated within the farm management. It's another aspect of land management of that farm, if you like. Yeah. So do we feel as though then the knowledge of of this has, has, has come up the agenda, actually people are beginning to realise that the the value of trees and hedgerows to the farm is a value. It's not a loss. It, yeah, exactly. It's certain, certainly the ones that are more forward-thinking and, like say, it's, it's things... Probably climate change is one of the biggest drivers now, actually. And uh, the... Um, like say, summers like last year really bring that to a sharp focus. Um, there's still... I'm still working on getting infill trees because I think they have a benefit as well. Um, but, I've, you know this work I'm doing and all the work that I've done in the past with you know encouraging tree planting on farms has uh, we've you know got some great examples great experience to to relate to a lot of my job actually over the years for all the different themes if you like at, at different times there's been different focuses okay on uh, what farming conservation is is transferring knowledge you know it's knowledge transfer because mm. Generally, an idea has been trying to wear on the farm for whatever reason, and that's um, I, I sort of relate that, and and that really strikes a chord with farmers. If I, so, I'm relaying what what's worked on the farm to another farmer, and they that gives them more confidence than some parachuted in advisor, if you like, to, that you know that's good at book learning or yeah, whatever yeah, you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that that's when all right, yeah, you know, and and I, I used to enjoy farm walks and things because that was a good way of getting that debate. That's yeah. Really good, you know most effective in terms of my advice is when I, I get out on a farm and walk around with a farmer really so i suppose there's two, there's two things in my mind is, is, is how did you, you you talked about your early life on a farm and how you were your father gave you that instilled that conservation side in you yeah. um but you were you were young once and had long hair didn't you and yes uh, and rode around on motorbikes, rode around on motorbikes. Yeah. and you actually trained as an electrician didn't you yeah, it was more because the farm I was brought up was um, relatively small. Yeah. For like say, relatively small, we had a, fa- a fa- farm worker lived full time, and he had five kids. You know, it's great. The farm was a community and things, but there wasn't enough. And I, I always thought I wanted to because I was I had an older brother. Um, there was always it's kind of the older brother was always going to start first, and he he really enjoyed. And was into farming. He sort of shattered my dad on the farming side. I shattered my dad on the wildlife and environmental side. I guess you'd say. So I wanted something like that. So it was really I was looking at forestry, you know, mm. or something like that. that was, we lived near Greystoke Forest, and uh, I was hoping I would get a job there and go to Newton Regan things. But that was just when the Forest Commission was starting to shrink, and I guess I wasn't ready to <coughs> excuse me to leave home and head off somewhere else to do the same job. So it was just one of those things. And like say, my cousin who worked for an electrician, so see, we were doing up an old motorbike one night, and he yeah. said, uh, I said, I'll, I'll have to look for some work because I'm not getting very far with this. 
and so he asked his boss and I ended up working there for a few years but still working at home on the farm as yeah. well you know so never really lost that that, that sort of connection with farming and it was just one or two things um you kind of have an epiphany I guess you know you realize you either I'm going to stick with this all my life well no it's a million miles from what I anticipated doing went to the Himalayas with a friend and we yeah. spent six weeks to think about it and it was that that saw the seeds I went off back to for FE college and then uh, agricultural college up in Edinburgh and, that, and it's gone on ever since then sort of thing so the farming side's always been with you you've got that that seam of farming all the way through you but you're also thinking about the environment so tying all those things into one space is 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 interesting how how it's a challenge where are we at at the moment in terms of of do you think farmers are in, in thinking about the environmental impact of what they're doing well it's interesting thinking about it because I used to work for the Farming and Wildlife Advisory Group which was a national organisation so those county groups up and down the country and it was always very interesting talking to the guys that were advisors in the really intensive sort of arable places um, they, their, their work was fairly uh, narrow you know it was looking mm-hmm. about incorporating measures onto things but whereas Cumbria there's practically every type of habitat you can think of here. So, and it's on the doorstep of even the most inten- intensive farms. So, there's always been that probably awareness of how important the environment is, or, or you know that, that how diverse it can be in that. So, I always thought well, I was, I wouldn't say lucky because I worked hard to get my job and things like that. But it was always there was good examples to relate to farmers too in terms of yeah. you know. Um, hopefully a le- not a leap of faith but that, that next step towards incorporating it so and and that's been the case all the time that I've been doing this job since so, since the 90s that there's every farm has something on weight which is that sort of where you get your foot in the door in terms of trying to raise awareness of things you know even on the most intensive farms a steep bank or something I'm doing this work with first milk where grassland and but herbal lays as well actually they they you know generally go on to a farm and say these are the bits that have the biodiversity that people mm. talk about you know thing so it's raising first thing is to at least protect what's there mm. for a kickoff and then see if we can expand that really so what what do you actually do what what's your <laughs> now uh, what do you get paid for Prepared um, agri environment schemes is one of the main things. So this is this is this is what. Yeah. We used to be European. Is now is now. It's, UK, it's yeah. It's UK. So it's where farmers can get paid. They apply for and can get paid for actions yeah. on the farm. And and like I said, because of the high environmental profile of Cumbria, there's always been a lot of opportunities of that. And really, there's a high proportion of farms in Cumbria have some involvement and have had for twenty years, anyways, with these schemes and stuff. So. Now it's kind of an evolution. When I go back to a farm after five or ten years, looking at what we can do to build on what they've already done, you know, and 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 increasingly because a lot of it's it's been an important part of farm incomes for a long time, but specific, specifically um, in the uplands, but but also on on the you know the lowland dairy farms, they they sort of see well those bits don't lend themselves well to intensive farming, so we'll. We'll put those into a scheme, you know, so get credit for looking after them properly. So I think so. That that's been uh, an interesting sort of journey, and then it's certainly the, the the sort of range of farmers I work with has got broader and broader over the years. You know, whereas once upon a time, the upland farms I didn't do a lot in the lakes because the ESA was very much 
the sort of run by MAF and you know the organisation things like that. That was much more closed shop, so it's kind of round the edges. But yeah. uh, now it's potentially anyway in the county really. Just and it's sort of um, I think partly because I, I work for myself and even with Fwag, the you know we were seen as a sort of neutral player so for farms that weren't familiar with sort of our yeah. environment that we, we could tended to be a sort of because um, a lot of them don't like the ministry guys being on site no exactly <laughs> no exactly and you're not ministry no I'm not no FWAG, FWAG was set up that's we, the farming and wildlife advisory yeah they were set up and they're still going there's, there's a FWAG association where when FWAG came to an end in 2011 there was quite a lot of groups and like myself you know, when 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 locally, I thought I know there's still a lot of work to be done in yeah, this county. Yeah. That you know, I hope my presence will be still appreciated, and I've continued to do that sort of thing. Well, you you're always Ever busy. I mean, yeah, exactly. If we, if we try and get you to do a job for us, it's always well next year. It it is pretty much like that because the the, the um, I, I don't I don't like to, to sort of mourn about things, but it's been really like say the best of times, the worst of times. The best of times has never been a better opportunity to help farmers look at integrating sort of sustainability and conservation and environmental protection into the thing, but it's become very bureaucratic. Um, well, the paperwork's already yeah. So And I've noticed that in my job. When I, you know, 10 years ago, up until a few years ago, I reckon I was out on farm talking to farmers 50% of my time during the week, two to three days a week, and now I've been out once this week, right. and the rest's been doing background paperwork for farm setting up you know, registering land, getting getting making sure it's on the right forms for them to be able to do an application and think they'll help with the application and stuff. And it it's just like I say, I, I feel it's really fiddling while Rome burns. And the you know, there's farms I've got a meeting on Monday with a chap who did uh, he's got some good wood pasture and uh, but he's had so many issues with them claiming bits back, the remap stuff and say, Well that f- field's changed, you've overclaimed for that because that's actually smaller than originally and it's stuff like that and I think so we, we have the system whereby we, we where everything's mapped yeah so literally a line on a plan with a number yeah so every field every parcel has to be numbered and put into a form yes yeah, so every uh, every option has to be attributed to a field parcel whether that's an old barn or or a, a woodland or, a, or you know like a habitat meadow or whatever so so if somebody puts a fence down the middle of a field yeah and it becomes two fields to remap has to be remapped yeah so every change on a farm has to be remapped. Yeah. Exactly. So those are all to be right. Yes. And as you said, there's a tussle, isn't there, back and forth about quite where the line is. But often, yeah. I, I like I I I have a, a list of farms that I work with, and and every now and again, whenever the an area is remapped, and that could be from an aerial photograph to decide, oh well, that that stream's a bit wider than we anticipate, so we'll have to remap that. I had 140 messages for remapped. Right. fields and things from various farms the other day i just deleted them all because it's irrelevant to me until i start doing something for them but that's the sort of that's fairly typical of that side of so it. you're spending a lot of time going over just where a line is on a plan yeah cross-checking field sizes before you even think about what that farm might be yeah. doing yeah. yeah so so it's the bureau that that side of it does drive it a lot, you know, and that, that and it can in some cases prevent you doing the right environmental measure if you like. So yeah. whether it's fencing off a watercourse or what, what option that land beside the watercourse goes into and stuff. So, and this is important because everything's area based, isn't it? I mean, if you're doing it a, is, a yeah. new wood pasture, which got a good payment in the present scheme. It is, it? yeah, that's it. 
then if you're doing a hectare or 1.1 or 1.6 hectares or whatever, it's meaningful because over 10 years, yes, that's a lot of money. That's right. And, and you know, farmers want to optimise their environmental income, if you like, certainly with the demise of um, BPS, it's, it's and what, in sharp focus. What they don't want to do is get hammered in, in five years' time because they've actually overclaimed because the area's not quite right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and uh, speak to the guys at National England, they're, they're as frustrated by the system as now. The, this chap I'm seeing on Monday, 10 hectares of wood pasture that's been in for nearly five years, and two years ago... He got a an email to say that they wanted to claim half the payment back on that right. because it was in it was where there was a fair bit of tree cover. It was always grazed, so it's half, so five hectares of tree cover and five hectares of open grassland, which has now got trees in and things. Right. And it, they were you know they were going to claim a significant amount of money back. And he he really fraught phone called and we ended up luckily he had very good contacts. Very high up in uh, Defra, really. So we've managed to explain with help from um, guys, uh, Tim Nicholson. I work with you know, and uh, he helped. And we 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 argued the case that this the whole point of the the wood pasture option was to create more of what was already there, if you like. Yeah, so. So there's, so there's a huge frustration in terms of just of the bureaucracy, just mm. before you can get stuff over the line. You've got yeah. all the conversations beforehand, persuading somebody perhaps that this yes. is the right thing for them yeah. and the environment. Um, and then they've got to deliver. Yeah. So there's multiple stages to this, aren't they? There and is, if they yeah. deliver badly or don't deliver, yeah. potential for repayment. That, that, exactly. So that's the latest. Last, last Friday, the farm I'd done some work with, um, it's part of a group of a cluster of farmers where we're looking at encouraging them to do options and measures that will help slow the flow of water off the farmland. That's sort of flooding prevention. Yeah, exactly. So it, you know, it's like put kested hedgerows in, or just managing soil as well, but all, particularly protecting hedgerows to to slow that down. And uh, so this guy had put in a couple. They were pretty relict hedgerows, you know. So and so he's reinstated those, double fenced them, and things spot on and he'd never been involved in agri-environment at all um, at the same time we did stuff around the farmyard that helps reduce dirty water so he that was more tangible benefit to him sort of thing and and we were doing but he, at the same time we put arable options in to get a, a balanced well good scoring scheme and he's got into that he says well they're on the land that wasn't particularly productive anyway so he was happy to do that and Come to the end of his five year scheme, did a claim for his fencing to a few thousand pounds worth of fencing and hedge restoration and a, and a new gate and stuff. And they he had an inspection at the end of his scheme and they, they want to claim back all the money for the fencing because it hasn't got enough stretching posts, strainers in. And they wanted to claim for the gate because it hadn't put caps on the gate posts. And I think I was driving around since that, since that phone call, I've driven around thinking. I've done so many claims where they haven't put caps on gate posts, even round here, you yeah. know, and, and not my schemes and things. I think that, that is the thin end of a, an enormous wedge, potentially, if they start clawing that sort of money back. And but the thing is, as well, with gate posts, because that's the one thing that farmers took, said to me, and I totally agree, because I've got one outside that window there. Yeah, I can see it. It's, it's snapped, they snap at the ground level, so it hasn't got a cap on that. But it's it's coming to the end of its life because the snap at ground level. So Not that's another problem. thing. Well, farmers, well, what's the point of putting a cap on? It won't have. It's a futile gesture as far as the lifespan. So there's a system which is based on a, 
on a bureaucratic response yeah. that isn't particularly practical. No, I think you know that that there were shortcomings in the scheme, but were those fences fully stockproof and protecting that hedge? Yes, they were. The grant rate wasn't that good, really, anyway. So, arguably, you know, there's what they were sort of saying the the payment was for x number of strains and things wasn't really that relevant and i think there should be when they do this inspection there should be a value judgment on the scheme say there's shortcomings like any any job you do there's there's shortcomings you know there's bits where you have to compromise a bit but is that scheme working because that's the one thing that matters or perhaps even the opportunity to say well this is this is what we're scoring you on yeah. Go back and fix it. Yeah, yeah, which I think that's what he's going to do now. But okay. it was it's this glib way that they, the communication as well, you know, says, so the, he said the chap was really good. And, I, you know, the inspector mm. says, fine. But I said, well, he's bound to be because he's not going to sort of start going down then because threaten his <laughs> existence. It's, 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 it's the letter that you get afterwards that just puts <coughs> it in fairly blunt terms, you know. Yeah. Um, and very interesting because I've been involved with some of the few farmers that were have agreed to be pilots for the new sustainable farming centre scheme. So they've they've been encouraged to join. There's a payment to to be be involved because they have to spend some time doing feedback. And the tone of those letters, and the much more two way relationship with the with the RPA for them, just the why isn't it like this all the time? You know, it's not about you can't have that because you've done it wrong. So. Ideally, we'd want you to do this and bring them along, which is what I do with my job, you know, trying to help farmers come along on that journey, if you like, to, towards sort of environmental improvement. And uh, instead, they get these, you think it's committed murder almost, you know, the, the tone of them, it's, we're going to fine you, sort of thing. It's like you, you're doing illegal things and stuff. So, so that's, that's the difficult bit of your job. Yeah. And it, it does sound challenging. And it can be. I think yeah. you're deluged with emails and things like that, aren't you? It, it's yeah, it's it's ongoing, yeah. But but the upside is is and I, you know I I know some of the things you've worked we've worked on together mm. and it's great when you walk through the landscape or drive through the landscape absolutely or yeah. cycle through the landscape and yeah see, yeah I think I did that that's right yeah and and, and and it's growing that's right and having done that for you know like two and a half decades sort of thing. You, it, you can see the difference it's made. You know the hedges that are in now that wouldn't have been, or I hope I've helped their trees in the landscape and and stuff like that. And just knowing what's going on on farms that it's like you know there's less of an impact with what they're doing because I've spent time with them. You know. Well, it, there was it, it, we reflected on this earlier. Yeah, when when we were younger, going back two and a half three decades, there was a very kind of anti nature almost. Yeah, there was stance. And it is through people like you and the work I've done and other people that we've actually kind of bridged the gap maybe a little bit with conservation, between yeah. conservation and farming. There's a bit of myth dispelling as well. It's not, it's not either or, because that's what it was. It's either productive farming or you leave it to go wild again. But it's not. There's, there's ways of balancing things. Like, say, we, we've talked, um, we know quite a few farmers into regenerative farming, which to me makes a lot of sense. And I was encouraged doing some work with first milk at the moment and and those farmers are looking at that sort of the extended hedgerows and things these connections across the landscape i think that's where there's the biggest potential rewilding is a bit of a controversial topic and um particularly locally but the, there is there's we can go in that direction a little bit without sort of you know farmers losing identity almost if you like rewilding is 
quite a, an interesting term, isn't it? And, yeah. and I've, I've worked with some, some rewilders, in fact, quite a lot of rewilders now. Um, and I would say almost all of them are interested in people, nature, and to some degree farming. Yeah. It's, it's actually just, it's, lo it's, it's points on a line, isn't it? Yeah. There's the absolute rewilding yeah. of walk away, leave it to its own bit. But there's lots of there's lots of beads on that chain, isn't there? Yeah, and and that's like nature. Everything's on a spectrum. So, like uh, you know, I say work with some very intensive farmers and others that are happy to fit it around around their their environment, if you like. So it's where where the farmer's going to feel comfortable, and you know that it's not an existential threat to them. It's where uh, that's where I see my place in this, and you know it over the years it's shifting more towards environment you know where like say it's much more integrated with farm management now well i can think of plenty of people i worked with where the trees were anathema yes when you first meet them and i interviewed chris hodgson recently and uh we were laughing because um somebody gave him rang me up and said and uh they said pete pete chris is planting trees and, they, <laughs> and, and what happened was i would storm i would come through knocked out the trees yeah. yeah and he was so obsessed about it he went out and bought guards and, and stakes and he got volunteers from the village and they'd gone and planted new trees. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. And and he was really chuffed about doing that with the volunteers. So he's learnt about working with volunteers. Yeah. What nice people they are. That's he's learnt it. about the fact that, that he values the trees actually and he's done it himself. Now that from where he was I love that. That's exactly. Great. But I think that's mapped out over, over many names, we could say, and we probably ought not to in this kind of interview, but yeah. many people we worked with, where they do want. It, it's definitely, I, I would fully agree with that, because, uh, like I said, there's a tree group, you're going to see yeah, Drew shortly. We, uh, I went last Saturday just to get out as kind of an antidote to all the paperwork, and we did 270 metres of new hedgerow plant in, in a few hours, and then to the pub for a pint, which was great. And... Uh, but I've worked with farmers and one's real revelations, you know, ones that I thought, you know, their head down work like Trojans and things, but, you know, within their own sort of confines. And a few of them, because of what's going on around them on farms, they've done volunteer days as well with, with their volunteers and thoroughly enjoyed it. I was, there was one chap over near Brampton, uh, I think it was, it was through his daughter, she was wanted to raise money for something, might have been to, something to do with her. Um, Duke Redenborough Award, but they they wanted a sort of environmental project to do, so she persuaded her dad to say, "Could we?" There's a wood that had been felled. I think probably something to do with Storm mm. Arwen again, and they said we ha They had a day where there was there was about twenty, fifteen, sixteen year old, you know, sort of um, school pupils, and he said the energy and enthusiasm was just so infectious, mm. and he and his daughter stood when they'd all gone home at the end of the day, and this this was all planted up. He says, it was one of the most satisfying days he's ever had. And I said, I totally know what you mean because there's something tangible. You've done something good and tangible. It's there in front of you and you'll see it get better and better as the years go by. And but but we've, we've, we've had a very, lots of experiences like that. We were laying a hedge. We did a hedge laying course yeah. recently on a farm. Yeah. And the farmer at the beginning of the day says, well, I don't really like people very much. That's it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about volunteers. And by the end of the afternoon, he was chatting to everybody there. It was about 20 people. Yes, yeah. And he admitted he thoroughly enjoyed it. That's it, yeah. And I, actually, I mean, you, you and I are both bridges between perhaps the hard side of the farming thing, which is they've got to make money. Yeah. If they're going to be here next year, they've got to make money. That's right. But yeah. we've got to help them facilitate that. Yeah. But both of us are interested in the environmental side. Yeah. So how do we facilitate that 
income generation through environmental issues. That's right. But with the bridge between them very often and other people. So I love bringing volunteers onto farms. Definitely. Fantastic yeah. day. And I've said this to numerous farmers, you have got to get better telling your story yeah. so that people understand what you're trying to do and understand the constraints you're working under. Have you worked with Regen Ag in, in Cumbria? Have you got... Uh, uh, there's a few, answer? yeah. Like, say, this... this the one that's really sort of struck a chord is the, the dairy farm uh, work that I'm doing at the moment with First Milk, where quite a few of their farmers are, are using what they call extending the shoulders of the grazing season. So mm -hmm. they, are, they, are, they, they feel aggrieved if they aren't maximising the potential of the sort of sward and the sort of herbal lays and things mm -hmm. as well. So they, there's a, the dual benefit of that is that you know cost cutting for them because they're not buying in you know they're they're using like nitrogen fixing crops and the, uh, grassland and um, plants, but also by extending the grazing that they're not in indoors for any longer than they need to be. So that's this this sort of liquid slurry issue is less of a problem on their farms, and also through the use of herbal aids and and just good rotational grazing, they're maintaining really good soil health. Which is as more more durable, if you like, in terms of more resilient as well. So that you know that's and that's a commercial. They they're selling to the big dairy companies. So and who are encouraging them to do that? They want you know. And I think in in England especially, there's something said because effectively a farm is a shop front. You know, it, they aren't remote farms, well out of sight and out of mind. They're there. You know, we drive through them every day. Mm. And, and I think that's where we it's, it's something good to explore. So herbal, that's not for smoking, is it, herbs? It's, no, it's, it's not, it's, no. This is kind of, it's reseeding a pasture, yeah. putting a, a much wider mix of plants in, deeper rooting often. Deeper rooting, nitrogen-fixing plants as well. So that's what they're called really good nutrient mining plants. So so think of last year when the water deal would drop right away. It's it interesting. I, I looked at, was at down south where it was really bad. And, and there was burnt off grassland and one or two bright green plants and they were the ones with the deep roots. Yeah. So you, you, you're kind of hedging your bets or you know, you're spreading the risk, if you like, by using those those plants. And you're also tapping into nutrients that have probably sat there for generations until, you know... Now. So one of the things that troubles me is, is often on, on, on farms, which I walk around, the grass is about an inch high. Yes. Over the whole... Whole yeah, farm, stock actually. set stock in stock, which means, broadly speaking, the roots of that those plants are also short. Yeah, that, so they're only mining a tiny. It's it's we're 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 relying on a very thin veneer, if you like, you know, like what is it called the soils, the interface between the mineral and the biological world, isn't it? So that the whole of this planet relies on, you know, centimeters rather than meters yeah. of, of soil and stuff. So. That but but on some on some farms that's all you've got you know we have some parts of the landscape on limestone here it's very thin soils but elsewhere there's you know out here we're at the bottom of the hill here that the soil is about three feet deep it's lovely yeah. but you know if you if you're only constantly working that top bit there's a lost opportunity really isn't it as well from an environmental point of view and and I like the regenerative farming sort of thing so when the more I've heard about it something well and rotational grazing particularly so well. That makes sense because when we, before we intervened in sort of managing land, like, like that as humans, the way 
ungulates, grazing animals or whatever, moved across the landscape. Their defence was to stick in tight groups, um, safety in numbers, and they would move across. They didn't stay in any place too long because predators would get familiar with that and, and they'd be more of a threat. But that's the grassland, all the plants underneath would have evolved to cope with those short, sharp shocks. And I think nature's that, you know, you can cope with sharp shocks, but not like acute, acute sort of pressure, but not chronic pressure, which is a lot of farming sister base and that, that constant sort of upheaval and, and uh, you know, sort of heavier grazing, sort of long-term. And we're all like that. We all benefit from having taken a step back and a breathe a sigh of relief when something comes to an end and well, it, it, you recover. Yeah. yeah, and within this within the regen system, there's, there's lots of talk about rest, isn't there? Yeah. So you hit it hard. Yes. And then you get the hell off. That's it. And let it rest. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I've, I've worked with lots of people now who are doing that kind of thing or experimenting with it. And it, it's different in all the systems that everyone's got a slight edge to it. They have, they? yeah. It's like a different point of view of how it works or how it might not work. But it's in, I, I think this next few years, it's great that we've got good examples all over, like say from intensive, relatively intensive dairy farms. So as we talked to one farmer, we put in 250 kilograms of nitrogen every year right. on his grassland. And through doing this sort of grazing management, rotational grazing with herbal nays is 50 kilograms of nitrogen and he's aiming to go further down than that. And sort of remember, I've done work <coughs> on soils with farmers and things about soil health because it is, it is one of their key assets because if that isn't right, everything else rests upon it and, and for good or bad. And uh, I also, one of the analogies, I remember when I was when I was little playing about in the fall of and there was that smell of good organic sort of soil mm. smell mm. and that, that was one of the things that still tan- you know, I would relay to them sort of dig, dig out, have a handful of that and get them to smell it and, and looking for worms as well you know that and, and it, enthusiasm in that way they because they move about 40 tonnes of soil in an acre if you've got a good worm population and, and the, the stuff that goes in the, the soil that goes in one end because they live off the algae and stuff off the soil is more nutritious when it comes out the other end so they're, they're like the contractors working away for out free. of sight for free, yeah, for free. exactly. If, all the time, you know, if you look after them, basically. So. And our over-nutrient fixing, our compaction by using heavy vehicles, yeah. very often, or, or set stocking, yeah. militates against having a good worm. Definitely, because you, you're just changing the structure of the soil and making it less habitable, basically, for, for roots. You know, worms will use the same... Same tunnel for a number of generations as yeah. well, weren't they? So, yeah. so these these are the, these are the workers who are actually plugging away, moving yeah. the soils around, yeah. aerating the soils, actually allowing water movement too, because those they are land drainage contractors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So aeration, drainage, soil moisture balance, um, yeah. improving the whole the whole soil structure to yeah. allow for other things to come in as well. That's it. So they're our workers, and if we add the dung beetles to that as well, yeah. So, um, there's lots of really positive stuff about dung beetles that's, that's hit, hit us. Yeah, I think and they're a good indicator as well, so they turn a cow pat over and see what life's going on under there, it's brilliant. But perhaps one of the issues we've got with very intense numbers of animals is then that medication. It is, yeah. And that's so the high medication that happens, when you, particularly when you house animals. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's inevitable, really. It feeds through to the poo as well. Yeah. So if it's, if it's a highly medicated poo, then it doesn't get the back... The, yeah, um, that kills off. It's, it's just a shame. And you do, you can see it graphically, you know, like by looking at cow pats from that side. I've kissed a lot of cow pats over. <laughs> yeah, that's... And if you see some creepy crawlies in them, you, you know that that's, that's yeah. not heavily medicated. Right. Exactly, yeah. But these guys take 
that dunk down, potentially 40, 50 centimetres as well. Yeah, they do. that's it. Yeah. So this is the system. The dynamics, you, 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 the natural dynamics are there when, when in a good system like that, definitely. It's fascinating stuff. And I think a lot of this is... Um, was probably motherhood apple pie probably a long time ago. We've lost it through yeah. intensification, mm. and now we're coming back out, but with a bit more science on it, aren't we? But credibility is such an important part of this. Yeah. So I'm neither Cumbrian nor a farmer, <laughs> and I'm trying to advise Cumbrian farmers. The exemplar from farmer to farmer is 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 joyful when you see it happen. Yeah. It? Yes. But it's a difficult space for us as advisors to occupy, isn't it? How, how, how do some, someone like me, with a degree and a bit of book learning, come out and start relating to people who've, who, who've never done anything else but farm? Yeah. I, I, I guess, like, even with me, because I, although from a farm background and, and so on, um, I'm still going on, they still see me, you know, the environment agency, RSPB, whatever, they're still in that bracket, which I'm, which I'm not really like it. And so a lot of it's listening, really, yeah. tuning into them. Because, you know, you're probably maybe the first person who's been on that farm for a week or so anyway. So you've got to kind of. I'm also, and, and part of my job, the environmental side is, is key to it, but I really enjoy working with people, building up relations yeah. with them, especially long term relations where you can sort of help them along. You know, and be there, sort of thing. Because particularly now, because there, there just doesn't seem to be that sort of local contact so much. You know, those, you know, ESA. They always had the dedicated project offices and things, and likewise with stewardship. And they're just natural England. I think because of the pressures on them, they they just aren't allowed to go out as much and that. So no. I get, I tend to get a lot of phone calls. You know, sort of for advice near deadlines for grant schemes or when something else has come out because there's another point of contact and things and. You know, I, t- I always try and help. I wouldn't say I know everything at all by any means, but uh, sort of try and understand. And if it's something that that is pressing, I'll, I'll, I'll make a point of finding out to see what the farmer's situation so that, needs to be done. I, I think that's a, a key thing, is, is the longevity of people in the landscape. So I've been around now three decades. Yeah. You're very similar. Yeah. Um, some of the pet names we've mentioned, Tim Nichols has been around for a long time. Kath yeah. Milnes has been around a long time. And you, you go to meetings, and these are, no, these are names that are known. Yes. And people trust yeah. those names. That's right. It's so often the case that we get project officers coming through now on a on eighteen month programmes or two yeah. year funding and, and funding's available for two years. Yeah, that's and right. then your project officer goes somewhere else and you, and before long that gap's closed up and you've even forgotten who they are. Exactly. But the farmers yeah. have forgotten who they are as either and often forgotten what they've done. Mm. So that short term thing doesn't really no, it's because a, a couple of years ago, when the, as part of the development elms, I was doing some work with the farmer network, and they got a contact to do a few interviews with farmers to say to get their view on how what they liked and didn't like about the existing range of schemes, and uh, they uh, all, without exception, said it was good in the past to have a, a point of contact with a farmer, uh, an advisor rather that knew the farm. So knew how that related to whatever change in policy there was and things like that, and I think that's that's I know it's an expensive way of keeping schemes going, but is it if it's um, making those schemes successful and building long term? I'm not sure it's so expensive. I, no, I, I think exactly. compared with lots of things, lots of money that's wasted. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Short. You know, you, you go in, do a lot of there's a lot of energy and effort goes into something, and then it comes to a 
grinding halt because that's at the end of that project or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think it, part of what we do is discuss options. Yes. Yeah. And optioneering that people wouldn't necessarily come up with themselves. Yeah. Which is not to say that they haven't got ideas. It's just that actually. Perhaps our experience from other farms and other places is that we can say, well, actually, that probably would work. Yes. That might not work. That's right. Or have you thought about this? And by the way, Jonathan Hall down the yeah, road exactly. is already doing this. Yeah, actually. that's Go right. and have a chat with him. Yeah, that's right. And that, and that kind of, that, that stuff, connecting up the dots. It is, yeah. And, and, you, and that way you can tune into, you know, there's the early adopters that are always looking for the next opportunity and things like that, whatever, you know. And they, you know, that's fine. Sometimes it's difficult to get the next level down is more difficult because they're seen as, oh, well, they're pioneers anyways and I, I haven't got the confidence to do that or, I, I, you know, I would, I've got other things that I need to take account of. So they're the ones I probably spend most time with and then eventually they're the ones that really alien to it. Occasionally, out of the blue, you get a phone call, you go, can you come and have a chat to me about that sort of thing? So... It's just, it's a long, it's a slow burn with a lot of people, but it's its something, and this is what I was saying uh, as we were chatting earlier on, it's its not out and out ability with me, it's probably stubbornness as much as anything that's yeah. helped us keep things going, really. Oh. I want to do whatever I can, you know, to help people get over things. And so a lot of my job is managing expectations that they'll look and, and they'll hear, you know, there'll be announcement, there's payments for this, that and the other. I said, yeah, but you, you wouldn't be eligible for that because whatever the area it is and things like that. So you, you've, that's the, the general sort of pattern is, hello, you know, good to see you again or whatever. You, you're interested in this, but you can't, you won't be able to do it because that's that's yeah. not um, applicable to your farm. And then you start building back up again in terms of what they can do and what's what's going to work. And, and looking on the more optimistic side as well, part of that problem is, oh, I don't want to do that because that'll reduce my bps basic payment scheme area and things which it would have done you know so uh, it's only this last year and that are now comfortable farmers are comfortable talking about wide hedges extended hedges yeah. almost like double hedgerows or whatever if you you know if you see there's a good link potential link there and shelter especially as well shelter and shade um it's now a little bit easier to talk about doing that and encouraging farmers. I've certainly, you know, like I say, even on dairy farms, they've they've sort of said, yeah, I could do that, you know, because they're getting a pat on the back from the the dairy companies mm. because they're doing that bit more for the environment. They see, you know, it will make a, a big difference for shelter and shade as well in the longer term, and they're not worried about losing X amount off the BPS payment sort of thing. So, yeah, so that so that that basic payment scheme is changing, and that was a result of. Brexit that, that, that that's going um, so where do you see I mean the future is going to be quite bleak for a lot of these guys isn't yes. it and I think that's something we hasn't really been taken account of yeah yeah. and I, probably the higher up the hill you go the more difficult it's going to be could be yeah I think they'll be looking like the one thing so going back again to sort of feeling that it was good to be doing this job in Cumbria because there's the environment's always been literally on the doorstep it's at a much higher profile so i think there's opportunities i would like you know if, if farmers can get credit for looking after that improving it enhancing it environmentally that's great and there should be a lot of opportunities for that and that's what i'm you know the a lot of farmers i'm working with are, are seeing that the farm is an asset a farm is is a is a very valuable asset and at the more until fairly recently it's been seen as a food production asset mm-hmm. if you like but now a lot of farms are looking at it in a broader sense Thank you.
So j just to wrap up, because I think we, we, we've chatted and taken enough of your day out. That's actually. right. Um, the scones were fantastic. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, we, we, we're in a, a balanced position here, aren't we? We've got a changing environment. We've got climate change. We've got massive declines in wildlife. Yeah. You and I have both worked hard to sustain wildlife where we can. Where do you see the next five years for your job? Yeah, and and do you hold hope that we can actually turn this juggernaut of, 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 of agriculture around so it does produce food, sustain employment and jobs, and deliver environmental gains? I do really, because like I say, all the years I've been doing this job, I've never sort of I can't remember a time when farmers were open to to looking at other opportunities and things like that, and and trying to get that balance really i was thinking you know company was really badly affected by uh, foot and mouth and the one sort of thing that came from that um was it gave farmers a, a chance to sort of think about what they were doing and and you know it can't they just quite a lot of them adjusted their businesses but it, it and then it sort of it's carried on since then sort of and, and now this is this is the biggest change since then, and more of a change really with that. So, over those years, in in a way, maybe even foot and mouth, as horrible as it was, set the scene for some of the changes that we're seeing now. Where farmers thought, well, they had a few years where they were a lot lower stocked or whatever building up. So that that I know I did a lot of stewardship yeah. then, and that was they were done almost as part of the rebuilding of that farm business, and so, but that was then gave them an insight into what agri environment was about. And and I think we're on at the next sort of stage for that, which is hugely um, more significant, really. And uh, the conversations I've had with farmers around about, the, you know, like I say, I get phone calls, say, could you could come and have a look at this? And these are people I would never, mm. I've known, but I've never sort of seen, thought that they would be thinking about that. And so they, uh, um, like I said, we're pushing against an open door in terms of potential opportunities and things. I just hope it's not stifled by the bureaucracy behind it because I think that to me is fiddling while Rome burns. Like I say, that's the thing I seem to repeat most often because I know there are situations where I haven't been able to do the right thing on the farm because of the red tape behind the schemes and things, the options and stuff like that. And like I say, the worry is if this this thing about claiming, you know, claiming a few hundred pounds back because a farm hasn't done a gate post properly is nothing compared to the, the, the dent in his confidence or, or his, his attitude to it all, potentially. You well, know. he will give up and go home and not... And not yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Sort of Once in, twice shine. I'm not going to do that again, sort of thing. Don't... don't we, the, 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 the whole of we, if you like, the whole population, we can't miss that opportunity, you know, let's keep... We're just... the, the It's like we've... We're getting into gear, if you like, when you're cycling, you're just starting to get into that, that sort of meter, and we don't want to sort of suddenly slam the brakes on because we've some, you know, bureaucratic problem. The first and foremost, we've got to get this environmental thing right, mm. anyways, you know. For your children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, exactly. So the other thing we need then is, is some kind of policy which says, let's put a system in place. Yes. And let's not bugger around with it. Yeah. It should be for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, exactly. tweak it by all means. Yeah, not... evolve progressively yeah. with it, but not to just faff around and reinvent the wheel. And it should be the, the, the decision making should be based on what's the right thing to do on that farm or in that area, yeah. that part of that farm, not 
you can't do that because it basically because the computer says no, you know. The code on this field's wrong, so you can't put this, this, yeah, this. Yeah, you've got that down as as, as woodland, or just ungrazable scrub. Yeah, but ungrazable scrub's part of that whole whole habitat. Yeah, but you can't pee on it, so that's the sort of thing. And, and that's it, frustrating. It, it's yeah, it's unbelievable sometimes. But, uh, and actually, if you're thinking about a whole farm business, then you're looking at the whole farm and how the yeah. whole farm functions. Yeah. So we we've, we've danced around the subject of advisor and your role in the countryside. Yeah. Um, it's been a joy working with you for such a long time. It's and, great, yeah. and I really do see where you've been. Yeah. which is great. And like say, working with you as well, you've got to sort of be seen to working together. You know, it's not that. Well, no, you know. well, we have to, yeah. but we do because we're mates. Yeah, it's, it's spot on, yeah, exactly, yeah, that's right. And like I say, it's good to get out and plant shooters, and this is what it's all about, basically. So just to finish then, our Christmas party every year is, yeah. is you, me, yeah. Tim Nicholson, going out with a bunch of, of uh, spades and trees and yeah. some mince pies and some mulled wine. And so I'm hoping that come next Christmas we'll... Go and find a farm where we can sit and chew the card and plant yeah, some trees. It's brilliant, yeah, it is good. And that, and, and like it's interesting working with volunteers because I think they all get something out of it. Yeah. And just that, so that literally a connection to the earth, if you like, isn't yeah. it? And, and just sometimes come home physically tired instead of emotionally battered almost. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. And that, that's what it's all about, you know. Like I say, I hope that going forward it's the, 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 the driving force, it's what's the right thing to do on whatever situation whichever right environment and let's do the right thing yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what, a brilliant way to end how, how can we make it happen yeah thanks Paul thanks very much cheers Pete no, great so the scones that Paul provided were absolutely beyond belief wonderful great to sit in his kitchen and hear about Paul's life and his decision making and his his feeling and passion for nature and farming uh, it's really palpable Next week, we have another passionate individual, Fidelity Weston, uh, talking about pasture for life, her beef and sheep enterprise, which is organic, down in Kent, and uh, again, weaving in nature and farming together. You've been listening to the Tree Amble podcast, written and produced by myself, Pete Leeson. My special thanks go to Pete Ord for his awesome production and mixing skills. And actually, Pete and Pete, both of us, we wrote the music, so thanks very much to Pete for his input there. The recording was on location with mixing and production at the studio at Sunbeams, part of the Annie Mawson Sunbeams Music Trust. Thanks also to all those lovely people who were interviewed, Simon Wakefield for the artwork, and my special thanks go to those who gave me the confidence and support to make this happen. Angela, Anne, Catherine, Tim, Tim, Kevin, Emma, Nick and Paul, thank you.